Two normal toads saving the world with an Adam Sandler podcast. It may not be the first, nor the second, third, or fourth, but it's definitely a podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing The Wedding Singer, the 1998 uh, Adam Sandler film that's neither directed nor written by him, uh, but that does star him as Robbie Hart, a wedding singer and failed musician um, who, at the very early on in the movie, we find out um, gets stood up on his wedding day by his fiance. Um, Robbie's obviously heartbroken by this, but is able to pass the time with some of his moronic friends, as well as um, a waitress where he usually um, does the wedding singing gig um, named Julia, played by Drew Barrymore. And um, as he develops a friendship with Drew Mary Barrymore, he obviously begins to struggle with the feelings that he has toward her, um, as well as his frustrations with her fiance, Glenn Gulia who happens to just be a grade-A piece of shit. <laughs> um, and then we, you know, we can go on from there. But that's pretty much the, the setup and the half the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, um, yeah, um, what'd, you, what'd you like about it? What did I like about it? Yeah. That's a very leading way to answer or to ask me a question. <laughs> um, you know, I actually liked a lot about it. Uh, so... One thing is, uh, did you mention this during the uh, your intro? That it's a period piece. Oh yeah, no, this um, it's like an uh, a nostalgic slash ironic nostalgic movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, about uh, nineteen eighty five, I think. Yeah, is when it takes place. Although, um, can I? I'd like to just point out that at one point his brother in law says, "I think they shot Jr." Um which right. actually aired five years before 1985, but yes, go ahead. Right. <laughs> so he must um, have been watching a rerun. Yeah, but he'd never seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, what? <laughs> There's a show called Dallas. <laughs> yeah. You guys know about this? Have you guys seen Happy Days? Actually, there's a lot of Happy Days references in it, too. A lot of Happy Days references. It was yeah, almost like the, the, the 80s were an experience of people who had grown up with the Fonz and like believed they right. would someday be the Fonz, realizing you can't be the Fonz forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been our study of the, of the wedding singer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was actually just reading an article, and it did say that the uh, their 80s was all kind of blended together so they weren't going for a really accurate uh view of the 80s but sort of like it was like a pastiche or something yeah um like the 80s were a motif throughout the movie uh but all blended together all the different eras in a, in a um, way that you could almost not notice it i mean i've never been known for being very observant but i've mm-hmm. kind of had a moment when I think she threw the Rubik's Cube and was like, no one's ever going to solve this, which I thought was a great moment. But that uh, was the first time where it was like, oh, they're making jokes about the 80s. <laughs> which uh, all right. took me a while to, to, to get that. Yeah, so I have seen this movie a couple times before. 
this is the first time I realized it took place in the 80s. Um, <laughs> okay, good. And, I'm not yeah. a moron. I mean, I am. But... Right. And I also didn't realize that it took place in the 80s until about halfway through. Okay, okay, good. For some reason, even though I think there actually was, there might have been a 1985 at the beginning, uh, I've never seen that when I've actually watched the movie. Um, I'm trying to remember when I realized it. Because there's all these references, but I just thought that they, the characters themselves were nostalgic for the 80s. Well, yeah, I think that's a, a, a reason why we might get confused, because even today you still have people who are nostalgic right. for the 80s and are still wearing their Van Halen t-shirts and still, like, you know, dreaming of that band from high school or, you know, in the early 20s that never quite made it. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's part of the reason why there's a, a timelessness to this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was the Dallas joke where I realized it was the 80s, actually. Because, yeah. And then it, it all made sense, and I was like, oh, that's why there's all these, like, 80s commercials, and they're doing 80s songs. And his hair is awful. <laughs> right, and Ronald Reagan is the president. Yeah. And I was just like, man, they're, these characters are so into it that they re-elected Ronald Reagan in 1998. <laughs> this strange dystopia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you... I feel like there was a because there has been like huge periods of eighties nostalgia, and I it does seem like nineteen ninety eight is a um, it's a little early for that. Uh, I've heard nostalgia described as almost being on like a twenty year throwback cycle. Um, so if you look at something like Happy Days, which came out in the seventies, and that's like nostalgia for the fifties. Yeah, I think, um, and so nineteen ninety eight would be like. Like 20 years from that would be 1978, so not even quite the 80s, so it's a little early, kind of on the vanguard. So is our 20-year nostalgia going to be George Bush? I guess. Okay. I was trying to think, I was trying to imagine, too, if you could even do, like, nostalgia for the uh, 2000s, like the mid-2000s, because if you think about, like, Adam Sandler always puts 80s nostalgia in his movies. So at some point we'll get to Pixels. I haven't seen it, but I, I know it's about him. He used to be a great like arcade player of like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and those games in the 80s. He did, in, like, or Billy the character Madison. he plays did? The character did, okay. yeah. Or in like, Billy Madison, he talks about how he loves Donkey Kong. Yeah. So there's tons of like 80s references and 80s nostalgia in Adam Sandler movies. Um, because he, him and his like writer-director crew that he always works with um uh they they clearly love it yeah and uh they clearly love this time period where they i think i guess they would have been like teenagers or young adults um and they clearly just have a great affinity for it but when i think back to like 2005 what would you even be like nostalgic for well i rock war yeah (laughs) i i mean what was I'm new trying metal. to remember. There's I mean, I a guess gap. We always make jokes about new metal. In but... my in my pop music history, there's a gap between uh, boy oh. bands and new metal, and then um, mm-hmm. Lady Gaga. Right. I guess Nickelback was in there. That's what we would be nostalgic yeah. for. Is just like the the early Nickelback. Yeah. Um, which Maybe that like, is just uh, already too many references for a single single yeah. podcast. Um, but um, no, I think one of the weird things about that kind of nostalgia though is that if you think about happy days that's 
still a situation where the content people are consuming is a lot of the time selected for them. So they don't have a choice of what content they're going to take in. Whereas now we have just literally endless amounts of content that we can access and we can be selective about what we do access. And so I think even for, I mean, it's still a thing at parties to have those old boy bands on there and to have, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and so in some ways, I don't know if the time nostalgia is going to work on the same time scale, which is a right. com- an entirely different question, but a really it's interesting one mushed. to think about. It's all mushed. Yeah. Together. That's, I call this the seen... mushed century. Yeah. <laughs> there is, uh, the other thing about nostalgia though is there is like, there's a period where it seems like it starts for people and then if you go back there's not really that many people at least who are making like pop culture that like you don't see a lot of nostalgia well I, I guess you could but I was thinking you don't see a lot of nostalgia for like the 40s unless you hang out at like I don't know a swing club or something yeah or like you go to like a theatrical like or like a stage show like I, with my grandma I went to like a stage show where they did all these 40 songs and dressed up in like the uh like navy sailor type costumes from world war Two yeah. and that kind of thing uh, so there is so it's definitely out there but it's definitely it doesn't seem like it's as like there aren't there isn't a movie where they're like oh we're gonna make sure that someone's listening to the radio for all these great 1940s commercials or something. Right. As far as I know, maybe there is. I want to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's cool, too, because there's, like, two different types of nostalgia. The the kind, when, when I think about, like, the 40s or, or something, mm-hmm. um, I would imagine that kind of nostalgia and the people who are engaging in it are actually mm-hmm. really trying to celebrate something and to, like, hearken back to a time that, whether they're right or not was was better in one way or another whereas with the nostalgia of the wedding singer it's really just more like man the 80s were fun i don't really care if they're like valuable or if there was anything necessarily Uh better about that time but remember rubik's cubes they were tough you know that kind of stuff Um, Uh so like a weird kind of i would call it earlier like ironic nostalgia where it's like yeah, I mean, this stuff's fun, right? Like, if you can imagine an 80s-themed party or, like, an 80s-themed concert, and it would be all about kind of the joke of the 80s at the same time that mm-hmm. it was adopting all of those qualities. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting is that, like, I totally have 80s nostalgia. I was, like, I turned two in, like, 1990, so I just really loved being one, I think. But, uh... <laughs> Also, what actually happened is, like, my sense of nostalgia has totally been hijacked by, like, Gen Xers who are, like, people at Adam Sandler's age who just created tons of pop culture that I consumed at various points. Yeah. To the point where I'm, like, nostalgic for for all this 80s stuff that, like, I shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, I want my own culture. I want my new metal. (laughs) For a System of Down album. This has been our podcast, Nostalgia Boys. <laughs> yeah, I do want my new metal, and I want it now. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, the movie, um, I, I'm interested because you, you liked it, and, and I liked it too. 
Um, I don't. I remember watching it and enjoying it a little bit more. There felt like more lulls in this, in this than I remembered when it, the last time I watched it, which was probably a decade ago or more. But um, I did enjoy it. But I noticed. I mean, even very early on, um, I noticed two things. So I knew ahead of time that it was written by Tim Herlihy and directed by Frank Carossi. Um, if I'm hoping I'm getting those names right, but yeah. so I, right away I was like, oh, this is one of those first times since um, going overboard where Adam Sandler's doing a film that he's not really, he doesn't have the kind of creative control over it that he did, um, he, that he does in a lot of his films. This is what I thought, and later okay. we can talk about how wrong I was. But okay. so okay. I thought yeah. that, um, but then so I get into it and right away in that first opening kind of um the credits are rolling and he's doing um he's doing a song uh, uh robbie hart is is doing a song for a wedding and uh i just noticed it was hitting all of those points that we've criticized in previous adam sandler movies about what mm-hmm. they make fun of what they choose yeah. to like use as their the butt of their joke which was overweight people um mm-hmm potentially gay or um like cross-dressing people um Mm -hmm. and old people right there's like a joke about a (laughs) an overweight woman eating eating all the cake (laughs) there's a joke because his back his backup singer and um keyboard player is kind of like a would you say boy george or Uh, would you say um so I looked this up. The okay. backup, his backup uh, singer named George. Uh, well, it's a little complicated. It's a person. The person who did it. It's his name or was named Alexis Arquette, which is David Arquette's brother. Um, or not brother, but sibling. Uh, uh, was born identifying as a man. Uh, was did drag for a while, uh, transitioned, um, and identified as a woman for a while, uh, and then I think sometimes switched how they identified or represented themselves. So um, I think what they would probably end up being today would be just kind of non-binary um, in general. Uh, and this person... Um, passed away uh not that long ago oh okay from um hiv complications uh damn yeah but i i think um and i'm not sure what whether they were a man doing drag or whether they had transitioned okay in this in this at the time of this movie it's a very yeah i mean i would love to and or what the movie's take on it is. I mean, exactly, not, yeah. It really I mean, has a specific... There are two... There are, um, I'm, I have it in my notes here because I wrote the two quotes down when mm-hmm. when they're singing. Um, let, me, let me see if I can find it here. Give me one second. Oh, yeah. Um, pretty early on when, when they start singing... Which I thought that I thought that was actually a really great part of the movie is that they uh-huh. the only song they sing is, "Do uh-huh. you really want to hurt me?" Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really perfect. Yeah, um, but uh, like when they start singing that song, there are two guys in the audience who are watching, and one of them says, "Scary," 
And then right. it cuts to Steve Buscemi, and he's smiling, and he says, uh, I like her. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a weird, again, like a butt of the joke, but you're in the movie, so you know that you're the butt of the joke, and you're like, I, I don't yeah. know. There's like an there's an interesting level of complicity there that would make me want to have heard um, if there if it's out there like an interview with um, Alexis Arquette to find oh, out yeah. more about that. Like, what? How did you feel about this experience? Yeah, it's. I thought it was. Yeah, the way that they ha- uh, and, and I think uh, she went by um, feminine pronouns. Okay. Uh, but the way that they kind of like. Yeah, the movie's take on her, it's, I mean, it's the same stuff where it's like they reserve the right to make fun of her if they want, but I also think that they kind of like, like she's a good, she's a good performer in it. Yeah, yeah. And she's like a legitimate part of his band, of Adam Sandler's band and a legitimate part of his like crew, at least that's the sentence I got. So she's not being like outcast from it. It's just that the movie also reserves the right to like make jokes about her yep. presentation or her identity too. So it's that same thing where it's like, but doing both. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Um. Man, yeah. So I I'd said. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that's again going back. That's kind of the the type of humor that we're going to be dealing with although i think there was a lot mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stick with that the way that some of the other earlier right. stuff that we've watched and i'm sure some of the later stuff that we're going to watch will it definitely departs from that <laughs> uh-huh. and my my assumption was this is a departure because it's not you know as much control as adam sandler may right. have being the star uh-huh. there are these other guys who are involved in the film mm-hmm. but then i started looking into it and it turns out that the the writer of the wedding singer Tim Harlehy. So I did kind of thought like we have three types of Adam Sandler movies. We have the ones where mm-hmm. he does all the stuff. He's he's in full creative control, um, and then we have this like thread of starring roles, but he's not in control. Like my thought: Wedding Singer, Punch Drunk Love, uh, Rain Over Me, Funny People, um, mm-hmm. the Meyerowitz stories. Th- th- those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it turns out this is really a, an interesting one because it looks like that second type on the surface. Um, but Tim Herlihy, all of the films that he's written are actually Adam Sandler films. Yeah, and it's typically like a co-write. I think it's a co-writing <laughs> position. And uh-huh. seven of the ten feature-length films that Frank Corassi has has done have been mm-hmm. Adam Sandler films as well. Yeah, and then so, one of them's like the Zookeeper or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the other ones are Kevin James movies. <laughs> um, so yeah, just a really interesting choice, a departure for him to jump over to Kevin yeah. James every now and then. Probably yeah, like had... like like Adam Sandler or George Clooney, Frank Corassi. He the bulk of his movies are the money making ones, but every now and then he likes to go and do an artistic one. Mm-hmm yeah zookeeper no i had yeah like the zookeeper. here comes the boom i don't know the other ones but i had the uh i had this exact same like discovery where i was watching and i was like oh they must be like some other people like giving creative input and then i was like but they really do nail the like adam sandler brand humor yes also. absolutely so he obviously has some input into it uh and then i looked up who the people were and i was like oh it's just his team <laughs> like this is just this is like 
one of the ones. It's completely on point. Before he had his own production studio, yeah. it was, you know, that would get all of his friends yeah. together for the summer to make a movie. Um, yeah. They just had to go find other people who were willing to trust them enough to mm-hmm. <laughs> spend the summer together making a movie. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, and I did think that's interesting because it is the tone. So we should talk about the tone of the movie. Uh, it has all the Adam Sandler-like jokes, including all the ones that we've kind of criticized. Yeah. But, uh, but also, like, all the slapstick and, uh, you know, tons of 80s references. Yeah, I, I think about. one of the interesting but, ones in this one, because the more uh-huh. the more natural his characters become, the more I think the viewer is anticipating an explosion or, like, rage. Yeah. Because yeah. he does this interesting thing where he's really sedate and calm and then, like, turns on the rage, right? Yeah. Um, right. And I, I, I find it... <laughs> exactly, like yeah. yeah. Well, I wish you would have told me that before the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which it's funny because I think he's probably still doing this today and it's just a uh. consistent feature of his humor. And, and uh, yeah, again, another signal that... We're not really outside of the Adam Sandler universe in this film. This is still very much that that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he is definitely like, definitely in like real person mode. Yes. Or like reaching further to real people in this one. Especially if you consider the like, this would only be like the, third of the like the true adam sandler movies too it seems like yeah yeah and so even more this one has like his realist character out of all of them um yeah i mean the the character in bulletproof was pretty real but also totally over the top right like yeah i wasn't really counting bulletproof because it's it's kind of outside yeah um i do think that one is still showing his the like I can't imagine that one didn't have an effect on who his next character would be. You know what I mean? Like I played this kind of version of a character and how did that go and the success of that and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you're, especially within the third, we're seeing a lot earlier than I remembered it, him becoming a normal, uh, you know, what we would call a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say there's one moment in the film yeah. that for me stood out as unbelievable in the sense that I thought you've established mm-hmm. this kind of character and a certain consistency with this character. And I just don't believe this would happen. Um, and that's where, uh, that's when he uh, gets on the plane. No, it's actually when he, um, he goes to the bank to try to get a job and okay. he has, and Kevin Nealon is the, the bank teller guy who's, who's right. yeah, talking yeah. to him and he, uh, Kevin Nealon, you'll remember from Happy Gilmore being the guy yeah. who talked about the carousel and the circle round and great round, part. the flow, all That's good things. Great. Um, yeah. But he's like, you know, you have no applicable st- skills. And then uh, Robbie's essentially just telling him exactly what's going on with the plot. Like, I really like this girl and I want to give her some reason to like me. So uh-huh. can you please just give me this job? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll even, if you just give me some business cards that would be fine. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I don't care what I just, I just need some way of getting this job or, um, some sign that I'm, I'm worth her time, which I just thought was, it's nitpicky, but like, that's just over the top to me. I don't see that actually 
I don't yeah. see this character that they've established doing something that stupid. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of didn't. That was a moment that was a little. Yeah, I, I had a little bit of that reaction too. Would you say your problem with it is just that he becomes more like imbecilic than the character is in the rest of the movie? Yeah, it's just because he's like, well, can I just have some business cards? That kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, no, a real person wouldn't just want the business cards. Yeah, That's Billy Madison would settle anywhere. for the business cards. Yeah, Billy Madison definitely. <laughs> I don't even think yeah. Happy Gilmore would settle for the business cards. Yeah, yeah. But a very minor thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was talking about tone, and the huge shift for this movie is just how much more romantic it is. Yeah. And how much more seriously it takes their romance. And then also kind of off of that, um, the woman characters are more fleshed out and they actually have scenes uh, to their own. That's true. I think all of the scenes still are about a man. Yeah. Right, yeah. But, I don't think... What's that test? Yeah. Bechtel? How do you say um, it? I think it's called the... Um, I know what you're talking about. The Borofsky yeah. test, I believe is what it's called. And, um, yeah, no, I actually just said that because I know that one of our, (laughs) pretty much our one viewer would be really annoyed if we got it wrong. But yeah, I think it's the Bechtel test, um, that if you, um, um, you, you pass the test if women in your, your story Mm -hmm. are actually talking about something other than men. Right. I don't like if there's a scene where they talk about something that isn't men. Yeah, I can't think of one because every time she's talking, Julia's talking to her mother. It's about Glenn. Yeah, Yeah. the lady, the lady um, who talks to Robbie, the old lady that he he Mm -hmm. teaches, gives singing lessons to. She is talking about her husband, and she's doing everything in relation to her husband. Like even her workout is so that she's attractive to other men, so that her husband realizes Mm -hmm. what a catch she is. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it is a very, I yeah, think, I mean, it's very much a romantic comedy, which kind of makes, there's not really anything within the universe of mm-hmm. the story to talk about other than those two things. Uh, yeah. The, right. The, like, you it's know, true. most of yeah. Robbie's conversations are about Julia. Yeah. Um, right. So I don't yeah. know that I would fault it in the way that I might fault something like, mm-hmm. I don't know, a war movie or something. <laughs> it cuts back to the wise at home and they're like, I sure miss the mowing. <laughs> I hate mowing the yard. I'm so much better at cooking. Yeah. Um, I hate. Yeah. I hate Black Hawk Down. <laughs> yeah, that that movie specifically. Yeah, that one um, scene just ruined it for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What I was gonna say too is that I just think compared to the older, to the previous two movies, I think that the woman characters in it are just a little better they're a little more real also like i I don't think that if you think about like like drew barrymore has like faults and like her own like uh quirks as a character in this um so she feels more like a character whereas I, i feel like the women in the and like Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, the romantic interest doesn't really. She's just kind of like 
cool girl. Yeah, and I think a lot of that <laughs> has to do with the scenes that we get. So, and mm-hmm. like um, in Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, we're always with our titular character, so we never actually have access to mm-hmm. the women character, the women characters, yeah. and their women problems. <laughs> no, we never have oh, access well. to the to the counterpart the romantic right. counterpart whereas in the wedding singer we actually have scenes with just julia mm-hmm. and her mother or julia and yeah. glenn or julia and um yeah. oh what is her cousin's name oh eh, i don't remember <laughs> okay um holly holly sullivan yeah Maybe. holly sullivan um Yeah, like like yeah. we did, we wouldn't have those scenes in the first two movies, but in this one we do, and so we actually get to see what they're thinking without Robbie being the person they have to think it to. So mm-hmm. a little bit a better sense of like the inner lives yeah. of these characters. Um, I also they, did like the fact that I mean, it's definitely set up as like a weird, like um, pure virgin and julia and then uh, holly is kind of like the slutty cousin but uh-huh. i and i didn't like that obviously but as the movie went on i think holly is is redeemed in a lot of ways and it's kind of like yeah. it it doesn't shame her for who she is like right. it's just kind of okay yeah she's promiscuous but she also is like observant and realizes that Robbie has feelings for Julia and then realizes that Julia has feelings for Robbie and then is actually a catalyst uh-huh. for what happens between them. Um, uh-huh. Which I thought, yeah, so she's she's a way more complicated character than it sets yeah. her out to be, which it seems like she's just going to be kind of the butt of the joke for um, any of the guys in the movie, but that doesn't end up being the case. I, I Yeah, I didn't think that she should be... Um, or I didn't think that she is punished in the movie the way she might be in other some other movies. Yeah probably lots of other movies yeah um i do also want to point out that uh for the listener uh um be aware that this is two men talking about uh the portrayal of women in a movie so uh we everything that we say is dead on accurate yeah um because of how analytical our minds are yeah uh, just because of our gender so our ability to analyze uh the portrayal of women in movies is just superior i would say so just remember that that you can take everything we say completely accurately. Uh, there are no blind spots in anything that we say nope. uh, in regards to this topic. Absolutely, just want to have that disclaimer out there. Yeah, I yeah I appreciate that. I feel like that should just be the maybe maybe our slogan. Just when we get <laughs> when we finally get an animation, you know, a thing to uh-huh. put up, we can just put you know the fourth Adam Sandler podcast, and then yeah. not even a disclaimer, but just like in quotes <laughs> with an exclamation point and a smiley face at the end. Right. Um, I think that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anything though. Um, I was going to say, uh, the, um, I think Drew Barrymore was like a big star at that in her own right at that time too, which, or at least becoming one. Yeah. I think she was definitely coming back. What'd you think? Of, what'd you think of yeah. both of their performances? They're good. I don't good. know. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, I I don't think Adam Sandler. I mean, I like Adam. (laughs) I feel really bad Uh saying this. I don't think he's a great actor or anything. Um, Uh I think he can play these kind of very specific roles. Yeah. Um, And I think that he worked. He worked well with Drew Barrymore. 
But, yeah. and I will say this is a question I have pretty much about every Drew Barrymore film I have, but I yeah. always imagine, and I imagined it in this case too, you know, he's he's doing a great job with Drew Barrymore, but what would have happened if, you know, Drew Barrymore, childhood star of E.T., what if instead of right. she being the person who had the comeback, E.T. had been the one to make a comeback? And what if E.T. was in all of Drew Barrymore's movies? And so I was trying to imagine like, okay, Adam Sandler's doing great in this, but I I don't know. It's like he could have done even better had E.T. been the romantic interest in the film instead. Yeah, you're right. But I was flipping it and I was thinking, what if... Uh, E.T. was in the Adam Sandler role oh. uh, as the wedding singer. That would have been really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because we already know that Drew Barrymore, great chemistry with E.T. That's true. Yeah, you're right, it's actually. Well that makes way more sense. And there's an interview um, with Drew Barrymore where she said that she kind of... So she's been in several movies with Adam Sandler, and she said, I think in the interview, she wanted to be kind of like that old Hollywood couple where they like do a couple movies like they do multiple movies together yeah i think the one that she gave an example of would be like hepburn and tracy is that one (laughs) those sound like words yeah Yeah. (laughs) experts in old hollywood movies also this is why we have a podcast because we just know stuff we know so much um, (laughs) so drew barrymore is a that's a person yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but what I was thinking is, uh, you know, she really should have just gone with E.T. Yeah. Because she already has that, like, history. Yep. Like, from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, yeah. You know what? That'd be e. such a beautiful thing to see. Um, yeah. I yeah. So why have like they not done an E.T. <laughs> remake? Because there's so many films out there just dying to be ruined, and uh-huh. that seems like one of them. I never liked E.T. because it scared me as a kid yeah it was too scary i yeah. couldn't do it it was just oh there was something There's so something... creepy about drew barrymore yeah. i don't know what it was but <laughs> <laughs> she definitely like grew into uh, herself you know what i mean like but yeah so yeah, yeah. Um, man now i'm thinking about an et reboot we need to jump on that well i just want a sequel where et comes back to visit drew barrymore yeah she definitely has to be in the movie whether it's a yeah. reboot or a sequel or or well, right. I guess if it's a prequel, she doesn't have to be in the movie, but I hope they'll find a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what'd you think? I feel like you kept wanting to talk about the tone, and then I yeah. kept derailing us. Oh. Did you? No, just, uh, just how much more romantic it is. Yeah. But I'm not sure if it's... Is it well done? Like, it feels well done to me, but I was questioning that as... Like, is this a well-done, like, viable romance? Or do they just kind of... Does the movie just keep telling me that there's a romance in the air and yeah. with all the music and stuff? Am I just buying it? So, yeah, I also, think I the think, music is part of it, and I want yeah. there to be... I want to mm-hmm. talk more about the music, but... Um, yeah. One thing I did notice that I thought was well-done is the, the two characters, Robbie and Julia, before mm-hmm. they know they love each other other people know they love each other yeah and so the one of the moments was when they are looking at because because robbie's helping julia plan for her wedding to glenn Uh and they go to the lady to um to talk about um to being a photographer about being a photographer for them and they're Mm -hmm. haggling with her and then at the end of it she's like you know 
you two are just going to make a great couple. And I can, I can just tell, you know, and then they make a little joke about, no, we're actually, we're not getting married. We're actually siblings, you know, and they make Mm -hmm. a joke about that and it's, they just brush it off. But, um, I think that's maybe an important component of the, the, like a stage in the development of the relationship. But that being said, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's like a foregone conclusion that the two main characters are going to be the ones who get together. But I don't know if that's something any movie can really overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said you want to talk about the music. Well, actually, speaking of the romance, uh-huh. I do have a question. Uh-huh. So there's a scene okay. where um, Drew Barrymore or um, Julia and Holly, the cousins, are talking about whether mm-hmm. Julia, how Julia is going to kiss Glenn on the wedding day. Yeah. And Julia doesn't know if she should use tongue or not. Uh-huh. Doesn't think she should. Definitely not porn tongue, porno tongue. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Holly's like, well, why don't you just try on Robbie? Yeah. And so they kiss. He happens to be standing there. Yeah, <laughs> just he's, standing he's silently, been standing there for, yeah. breathing heavily. He's been there for a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah. <laughs> but my question about that kiss is: is that cheating? What? <laughs> you mean in like the what? <laughs> is that cheating to kiss it's, Robbie when? You mean is she cheating on Glenn? On Glenn. Or do you mean yeah. it's the movie cheating? Because <laughs> I think the movie's cheating. I think the movie is like, how are we going to get them to kiss? How are we going to get it to the next level? How about a character demands that they make out? (laughs) (laughs) Incomprehensibly. I insist. Yeah. It's like, who would do that? I didn't buy that at all. That's okay. I liked in the original draft when when they fell into the trash compactor and then it slowly (laughs) closed on them and it forced them to kiss. I thought that was a more realistic choice. That was more realistic. Um yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is actually, I think that might be the scene that got me questioning whether it was actually like a well done like romance that builds up over the movie or whether there's some kind of moments where they seem to like each other and then one of the side characters insists that they kiss each other. Yeah. And now I remember that it's uh, the latter. Yeah, because I, I feel like praising uh, Wikipedia, I love this, Wikipedia says, many have praised the chemistry of him and Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. it in in brackets it says citation needed, which I think is funny. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I think about chemistry movies, I feel like I I don't know. I feel like I notice it when it's a moment when when two characters are. Um, hang on a minute. Let me just wait and see if my grandpa's dog is going to stop barking. Okay. I think uh, when I think about chemistry in movies, it's usually a moment when it's not deliberate. You know, like where they're just hanging out together and it feels very natural that they're hanging out together, but you can also sense that chemistry. And so a moment might be when they're like playfully hitting each other after the lady says that she feels like she... Right. Um, you know, can tell that they're connected in some way or have some kind of right. link. But yeah. a lot of the yeah. moments felt like they were deliberate. You know, it's like that that can't yeah. be chemistry. When a, when a character forces you to kiss, that's just not chemistry. Yeah. Even if you have a reaction to that, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't know how to just, I don't know. Yeah. So the music did swell up when they kissed. Oh, so okay. Knew, ah, they're the ones. That, which, uh, 
There's a. Have you seen Zach and Mary make a porno? Because I think they do the scene. You know, I I haven't seen it, but when I was in workshop (laughs) in undergrad, a fiction workshop, uh, someone submitted a story that was just that story. So I kind (laughs) of. I haven't. I've seen it. (laughs) It was me. No, I have an idea of what it's about. Yeah. The title helps. They do a scene like that where the two characters... I don't know. This will be spoilers for a movie you haven't seen. That's fine. Um, I'm never going to see it. But there are two characters that obviously there's chemistry, but they don't know it. But then because they're making a porno for like some kind of scheme, I don't remember what, but uh, they, they end up having intercourse on camera. And it does the kind of thing where it's like it closes up on them and it's like this like really romantic or like uh, transcendent feeling music plays while they're looking at each other and you're just like oh my god this is the most romantic like these characters are deeply in love and then it flashes back to what is the like other people who are filming it look like and it's just the most boring like sex like, <laughs> that you can imagine where they're just like lying on top of each other like barely moving and i just thought the, that scene made me think of or the scene in this movie made me think of that scene and uh, so that was a really well done scene yeah <laughs> but if you could so see behind was... it's just like oh yeah the chemistry's there because we have all these other things making it happen right exactly. like music yeah, that like people grew up listening to and mm-hmm. has certain arrangements and makes yeah. you you know supplements feelings mm-hmm. yeah i was um so yeah. i was counting up the during the credits i was counting up the the number of songs and i counted 35 mm-hmm. different songs in this yeah. in this movie yeah, I think so, only two of them were co-written by Adam Sandler and Tim uh, Hurley. Okay. Yeah, no, tons of songs. Um, I think the music is really well done. Uh, so that, the music will be a discussion. So I did want to ask you: Is it cheating when uh, they kiss, though? Because you seem to have a thought on that. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I mean. Glenn's got it coming to him. I'm very glad yeah, yeah. that they do it, and uh-huh. but yeah. I think it's cheating. I mean, you're with yeah. somebody else, you are planning to marry them, and then you kiss someone, and not just like kiss, but you really kiss somebody. Yeah, uh-huh. I think if I was in that situation, I would be like, no, I can't kiss this person because yeah. they're I'm gonna get married, and I have mm-hmm. somebody that I kiss. And that they they kiss me, and we're the only ones who are allowed to kiss each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I tell my grandma anyway. So you know, uh-huh. yeah. not, allowed, not allowed to kiss anybody now. I you know I don't I don't believe in these kind of uh, enforced um, you know mon- monogamous uh, uh, patterns in society. You know, I'm more of a free thinker. So I know that's why I I mean you asked whatever. me to bring that up so that you could. Yeah do your little spiel so i just like so, yeah so go ahead society man like it tries to enforce this kind of like a natural monogamy <laughs> but if you ever read about like ancient people at like the dawn of time they were like totally non-monogamous they were totally poly man i'm just saying like people create a lot of problems for themselves by trying to fit into this rigid standard of society's rules mm-hmm. but like if everybody could just chill out like you know, everybody would be a lot happier. Yeah. Um, are you done? <laughs> no. Okay, go ahead. We, we can do a... No. 
I'll save it for the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Play it over um, an extended cut of the outro music. Uh, right. <laughs> it's me again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the music was, was great. Uh, did you have any particularly particular favorite uh, songs in the film? Or just favorite moments with music? Uh, I do like the Love Bites one. Oh, yeah. Or Love Stinks, excuse me. <laughs> I was like, what's that song? And I thought, oh, he's kidding. <laughs> no, no. That would be a good song, though, if it's not already. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Love, love Stinks. Love Bites. <laughs> Whoa, man. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good. That'd be good. I like it. Yeah. Um, I like that one. Uh again it does play into the kind of weird stuff where it's like oh we're kind of making fun of people who look weird to us oh god yeah strange to us but at the same time that i like so maybe i just like the idea but i think there's an idea of cathartic the cathartic banding together of people who feel uh unloved uh through music uh, not through Reddit forums, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> uh, or the internet, but uh, you know through a song, uh, people that do feel like they're kind of left out of the love game. I think that uh, I don't know. I like the idea of that, and they're just like, you know what? Uh, all this shit's forced down our throat all the time. So we're just gonna say for one second at this wedding, like, you know, screw you. Uh, we're gonna ruin your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're uh, irritated. Yeah, for sure. I think the key is that people yeah. who, you know, feel jaded or frustrated and mm-hmm. um, express that through music rather than um, attacking women, I think is the You're right. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, or just attacking anybody. Yeah, um, but I do. I do kind of like the moment in the film. Though there is like you know, there's weight making fun of someone's weight and all that. Yeah, stuff, but. But at the same time, just the, they give each of those people a moment where they get to be like, love stinks. Yep. And it's just, I don't know. It's a potentially cathartic And moment. it's, again, one of those, I mean, it's just an interesting thing where you're, you're like, you're in this movie where you are the butt of the joke. And, I mean, yeah, you're mm-hmm. getting paid to do it, and that's part of it, but right, know, yeah. it's just... Um, what about you? What, what favorite song moments? You know, I can't remember when it happened, but um, mm-hmm. Hold Me Now by the Thompson twins and I can't remember in the movie when it happened but when it played it hit me to, in, in such a way that I was like I, I'm i going to ask Chris what his favorite moment in the, in the movie was even though I'm going to forget mine um, uh, yeah and I can't remember when it happened um, and then I also liked How Soon Is Now by the Smiths because I'm really cool and I listen to the Smiths oh um, is that the one where he's like heartbroken or and they're playing that song yeah i don't know i mean he's heartbroken a lot of the time i think yeah i think it's yeah, there's a, right before he gets back with uh, linda okay yeah there's a smith song playing at one point in the movie and yeah i was just like man that is a great song yeah um and then um i liked his song somebody kill me yeah <laughs> which it's, is it's good especially towards the end like yeah well it's so um and he does this is like his his bit is to do the uh childlike so like 
the rhymes are kind of childish. Yes. And blue and yeah. With you, I won't feel blue. Yep. Our love will be true, like that kind of thing. And then he starts screaming about um, how you broke my heart. Whatever. Yeah. But then what really sells it is that the second chorus in the song is entirely just about wishing someone would kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and not <laughs> rhyming. Like, he's yeah. he's left behind any rhyme scheme. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He's just screaming a message to the world, a request to the world. Um mm-hmm. Very cool, which is also the moment when John Lovitz has, to me, the most memorable part of this entire movie, yes. yeah, which is so John good. Lovitz is also a wedding singer. It is John uh-huh. Lovitz, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's playing a, a wedding singer uh-huh. um, who, thinks to Robbie's you know, breakdown, um, uh-huh. has become really successful. And so the scene starts with him actually doing a rendition of Ladies' Night by Shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just killing it. Um, and then, you know, he talks shit, leaves. Robbie does his performance of Somebody Kill Me. And then uh, at the end of it, it cuts to John Lovitz standing um, in the backstage next to a curtain. And he just says, He's losing his mind. And I'm reaping all the benefits. And then he smiles, and as he just maintains this awesome smile, the curtain slowly closes on his face. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that was a really good bit. Um, yeah, I, in my notes here, another musical moment that I really liked is, um, and I don't remember the song, so maybe it's the song you're talking about, because I didn't recognize that song. <clears throat> but it's when they're at the bar mitzvah, and... Um, there's a instrumental break where Adam Sandler goes to dance with one of the kids, uh, and George, it cuts to George first playing the clarinet, and then it cuts back away, and then it cuts back, and George is playing the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was, it was funny, but also it was kind of cool, because, like, it's, uh, it sounded cool. Yeah. <laughs> Those are cool instruments. <laughs> uh, I thought it was cool that they were giving George something to do that wasn't just sort of a joke on their gender presentation right but also being like george is like an instrumental part of this band playing these different instruments i don't know so that was neat yeah that is cool um something about the music that i want to bring up and maybe maybe we'll cut it because it's weird but um i can remember one of my earliest memories of music is um all I could really remember were uh, black gloves, um, a white blouse, and red nail polish. Uh-huh. And that was all I could re- Oh, and the silhouette of a woman. And I could remember these okay. details of this song that yeah. I'd heard, that I, or this video that I'd watched on TV a long, long, long time ago. Um, and I couldn't... Um, I couldn't remember many more of the details but then at some point in my mid-20s it like clicked and i recalled what it was and the video was this video called billy idol's cradle of love which Mm. was which aired in 1990 which would have made me about i think four years old at the time um and this video is just i'm just bringing it up because billy idol's part of the movie um Mm and thinking about like nostalgia and what we remember. And this video is about Billy Idol trying to, or it's about this, um, 
nerdy guy who lives in this apartment and um, a young woman comes over to his house and wants to play music because I think her power is out or something. Um, mm-hmm. And so she starts playing music, but then becomes increasingly seductive over the course of the, the music video um, and like spills wine on her dress, take or her white blouse, takes it off. She's wearing black gloves. At one point she's just in his room, like pulling off his sheets and stuff and dancing all around. And he's like watching her from the window with her silhouette cast against it. Um, And I just really want to say that that video fucked me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember yes. like when I when it clicked calling my mom and being like why did you do this? <laughs> why did you <laughs> let me watch this video? This is really intense. I was 4 years old and this is still a memory yeah. in my head. Um yeah. so, you know, Robbie, you know, has experienced uh, so. his own kind of trauma, but I think we all can ad- agree that we should not be watching uh, music videos that young. No. <laughs> oh, they're weird. <laughs> Weird, weird memory. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I thought, so since we talked about the uh, representation of, uh, or how women are presented in the movie, yeah, um, and maybe femininity a little bit, uh, one other thing that I thought the movie, is kind of interesting in the movie, is the representation of masculinity. Um, and it's, uh, there is a, a somewhat of a critique of masculinity or hypermasculinity in the movie. Yeah. Though so I don't know if it. There's probably other stuff in the movie that like subverts it, to being effectively meaningless. But I do think there is a. Uh, but I do think that that element is there, which I think is interesting. And I was wondering if it's actually in other Adam Sandler movies without being completely explicit. So, but in this one, the obvious ones are. Uh, one of the ones is Glenn he's like a yuppie douchebag type Uh, he's constantly cheating on um, Julia and then that's uh, held up in contrast to Robbie who's very monogamous it's also um, Glenn doesn't care at all about the things that Julia's emotionally invested in or just invested in Right. right yeah he's completely callous to her interests his idea of a relationship is the woman does her thing and the man does his thing. I'm going to go work. Right. I work in the city. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. She can plan mm-hmm. the wedding. She can do all that kind of stuff. No big deal. It's right. a very like contractual, uh, contractual. It's fun, babe. Do whatever mindset. you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Type of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's Glenn presented a terrible person. Uh, actually just, and a little bit of tangent too. Um, I feel like in romantic comedies, they always go one of two ways with the like the other man, like the man that mm-hmm. doesn't end up with the girl, but it's like the obstacle. They either make him kind of like a decent guy who's just not the right guy, or they just double down on like his douchebaggery. And usually it's the latter, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's just but, how uh, awful. No, this can one, Glenn's pretty it. cool. Yeah. He's got a DeLorean. <laughs> no, yeah, I thought he was no, awesome. He's a douchebag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? like, Does he have a speedo at one point too? The, what's that? A speedo. Oh. Is he in a speedo at one point, or like leopard briefs or oh, something? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, cool guy. Um, actually, that makes it sound like I'm criticizing his choice of underwear and being sarcastic. Uh, when I said sarcastically, he's a cool guy. It was because of his behavior, <laughs> not his choice of underwear. Uh, I think that's neutral, honestly. 
Um, but the other guy, oh, but it's there's also his friend who's like the ladies' man, and then he like is like, you know, the truth is, I'm miserable. All I want is someone to hold me. Yeah. He says right. those words. Yeah. Uh. Which I thought was an interesting. So I I think, I think you're right, and I hadn't really thought about it that there is. Adam Sandler's character is always a guy who like has a, has masculine traits and the rage is part mm-hmm. of that. But yeah. ultimately the thing that connects him to women is his ability to be like subdued and to empathize and to like mm-hmm. connect with, you know what I mean? To, to connect with yeah. him on that level that their other counterpart, his, his like rivals and in, in films can't. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was a little weird that, it's almost like this film can't even entertain the possibility of a man who wants to be promiscuous or not promiscuous, who wants to be polyamorous or who wants to, you know, and I'm just thinking of that because his friend who says this line, Mm -hmm. I think it's like, maybe that is how he feels that all he wants is someone to hold him. But maybe some people don't feel that way. You know, maybe some people not that they want to go out and use people and treat people like objects or anything like that, or that Uh, I would like that we would condone that or anything, but that they don't really need monogamy either. And I thought that was kind of the weird thing where it it had to be either, or you had to either be Glenn or you had to be Robbie. Like there couldn't be a middle ground where it was like, well, I don't really want a monogamous relationship, but I'm also not looking to like pretend like I want that and deceive a woman and, you know, sleep with everything that moves right um, i felt like that his his friend could have been that middle ground or, or found some middle ground there but he definitely ends up just being mm-hmm. like well no the reason i seem like glenn is actually because i'm so sad and, and lonely and i right. want to be like you and i want to find what you found with julia mm. yeah yeah i mean i think that's common for movies forever yeah (laughs) i don't know i think i'd be interested in a movie that didn't basically fall into that binary where where is there a movie where it's just like you know what i i'm just uh you know non-monogamous and uh that's cool you know (laughs) i feel like there is but i can't i can't think of off the top of my head and i'll I'll try to think of it Uh, is it indiana jones (laughs) because <laughs> he does have a different girlfriend in every movie yeah and that seems to be all right yeah that's the one no yeah. there's one um what about glenn <laughs> <laughs> that's right cool guy he's doing it <laughs> yeah it's true um i loved I, I i feel like we're getting close to time but i just wanted to comment yeah. that i i like how at the end there's like you get the girl not only that, but uh, there's like this Billy Idol ex machina where he <laughs> protects you from Glenn as well as um, yeah. he sets you up with a potential record deal. Right, so yeah. it's just like, well, just everything worked out. Happy like ending. the whole point was he'll Julia uh-huh. loves him without the record deal. Julia loves him know, regardless but, of his success yeah. because there's some we'll deeper connection. Anyway. But we got to make sure he gets that record deal because why would right. she stay with this loser? <laughs> I know it's one of those like. This is not even like worth really criticizing about Am Sandler movies, but it does. It was that I kind of have a pet thing where it's like the super happy ending. Yeah. Like, give me a happy ending, but don't make 
We might have even talked about this on one of the podcasts. You don't need to give me every single thing. That's not true to life. Right. But give, like, just, like, just enough that you can be like, they're going to be all right or whatever. Yeah. But instead, I feel like movies, I mean, it's an Am Sandler movie. What are they... <laughs> Half the time, well, we can't like let that be. We can't let like that be. Some side character. We can't let like that be the barrier like to stuffed shark. Sorry, or I, I didn't hear you. What'd you say? <laughs> I said, half the time at a uh, the happy ending in an Adam Sandler movie is some side character making out with like an imaginary like stuffed like animal. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> so like that's how it should be. What are you gonna? I do? was gonna say yeah. though. Also, we can't let that be a barrier, or else there's no point in commenting on anything in these movies. <laughs> that's, oh God, you're right. Especially as it goes on, what are it's we just doing? gonna be like, well, it's an Adam Sandler movie, so. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you're you right. Can't, you're right. Shrugs don't go over well in um, in, uh, in radio, so. Yeah. Uh, real quick um, about Billy Idol, though. Uh, yeah, I really like the idea that Billy Idol just kind of travels around and like helps people yeah like <laughs> just hanging out and then he's like oh this is a story i need to help <laughs> yeah oh i love the 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 thing about those plane scenes uh, uh the, the the few scenes that take place in the plane it's like in the last 10 minutes mm-hmm. of the film um teddy uh teddy castellucci uh, did the did okay. the music for it? He was also he was the guitarist in um, Robbie Hart's band. Oh, okay. Uh, but he did the music for it, so he did the score. I mean, he I'm guessing helped select the music uh-huh. and then also did the score. That has the fucking craziest music going on during that plane scene. Oh it man, keeps right. It keeps being like this weird like. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, and it does it. I wrote it down and I was like it did it three times and then right when I wrote I said three times mm-hmm. at least and then it did it a fourth time and I had to scribble yeah. out three and write four there's so many segues <laughs> so it keeps segueing back and forth between um, uh, Julia and Glenn in uh, yes. business class or economy class and then uh, first class with M. Sandler telling the story or Robbie telling the story to all the passengers and it keeps transitioning and every time it transitions, it does that segue shot where it's just like the plane flying, <laughs> some crazy music. Yes. Yeah. Like, bah! <laughs> 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 yeah. Why? why? <laughs> you don't. I know they're still on the plane. I'm not going to be confused. <laughs> I know. I don't know why they did but and Oh, I guess passage really of time short, might be part too. of it. So it suggests that he did. Uh, but I mean, there's other ways to suggest passage of time. Uh, it's so noticeable because the. It's so close together. Like, the scenes are only, like, a minute long or something. Oh, yeah. Like, one thing will happen, and then it'll cut, and it'll make that... It'll do that that awful, awful again. noise. Yeah. I think Teddy yeah, was just like, first, I didn't get to play enough uh-huh. guitar in this. I want to throw some in here. At first, I thought the video was, like, was screwed up when it first did that. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, no, it's, like, jumping around. Yeah, that's it. Like, I mean... Because it was so shot and abrupt. <laughs> or so short and abrupt. That's a testament to just how awesome that moment is. Yeah. Um, so, anything else? Or do you want to get to whether we recommend I it? I think we, we should, yeah. So, uh, do I recommend it? Ah, oh, man. This is tough. I mean, I, it's so it's 
I almost wish that we could save off on all our recommendations till the very last episode and then just spend an hour <laughs> talking about whether we recommend them. Just because uh-huh. at this point I would say I recommend it because we've only yeah. seen a handful of his films and this right. is definitely a departure. It's the first, like you said, romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people consider it one of the best Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. Um, of the movies that Adam Sandler has done and like been really involved in, yeah, I, I'm yeah. probably gonna agree. You know, even a year from now or however many years from now, when we hang on one second. Okay, I'm back. Um, okay. And you know, when we when we get to the end of the podcast, I what was I saying? <laughs> I had my last phrase, but I don't remember uh, looking after it. Um, just that yeah. I, I think at this point I would definitely recommend it. Um, but I don't know if when we get to the end of the podcast, looking back, if I'll think it was mm. quite as important. But I do think yeah. given that it is probably one of the better films that yeah. he's done from then to now, um, mm-hmm. and that he has had that kind of full creative control over, I would say that it's definitely one to see um it's a it's plus it's just a fun movie like there are things to like about it it's not Mm a one note kind of thing where i I think people who wouldn't like billy madison or wouldn't like happy gilmore there's something to like in this if you don't like adam sandler you're gonna like drew barrymore's performance um if you don't like the story you're gonna enjoy all the music and the dumb nostalgia moments Mm -hmm. um yeah and it, you know, if you don't like the comedy, there's still a romantic element to to get involved mm-hmm. with. And it's well rounded, yes, a well rounded film. Um, so I definitely would, uh, yeah. I'd recommend it for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd recommend it for that reason. I don't know that it's like a great movie, but um, right, yeah. If you're gonna watch an Adam Sandler movie, this is one. You know, if you're gonna watch an Adam Sandler movie with your with your partner and on all they want to watch uh-huh. is romantic comedies but you really like um, Adam Sandler comedy, then this, I guess, is it. So just fucking watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So just fucking watch it. Um, Yeah, I I pretty much agree exactly with that. Uh, I'd say I would recommend it for uh, the fun musical performances. Um, I don't think... I I don't know. It's... I guess... eh. (laughs) <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot that isn't great about it but uh the really fun musical performances the romance is kind of sweet in a kind of silly way yeah um it seems like they're they're doing their best i and i i got emotional good. i got emotional yeah. in that scene i thought it was a really good scene where she is I think she's like in her wedding dress. Um, she's standing in front of the mirror and she's yeah. like, hi, she's by herself in her room. Hi, I'm Julia Gulia. She's, you know, cause that's Glenn's mm-hmm. last name. That's going to be her name, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she just starts to break down crying. And then she like kind of composes herself and says, hi, I'm Mrs. Julia Hart. I'm Robbie Hart's wife. And she starts saying that and she's so happy and so happy. He's walking to her house to tell her how much he loves her. And he looks up and sees her in the window and sees how happy she is and can't do it. And I just felt it was like one of those Romeo and Juliet kind of moments of um, someone looking at someone up on a window or balcony. No, it was one of those moments where, you know, you 
you have this feeling, but you realize you can't um, can't share it. Uh, and man, I if I didn't have a tear in my eye, I'm a liar. Uh, or uh-huh. I think that's right. <laughs> I had a tear in my eye. <laughs> uh, and you're a liar. I guess. <laughs> um, all right. You didn't have a moment where you cried? Oh, you want to? <laughs> Come on, man. I was crying the whole movie, man. John Lovitz. It's all good. Love His John Lovitz. Wonderful rendition of Ladies' Night. Yeah. <laughs> at the heart he nailed it i mean really does yeah cool all right this has been is this the fifth episode of this is the fifth episode yeah the fifth episode of the fourth adam sandler podcast starring chris and justin um next time around we'll be looking at the water boy oh yeah yeah that's a good one yeah and yeah and we'll see that he really uh he grows from this movie and goes on to really develop his characters in a more serious way. I think. Yeah, that's what I'm anticipating. It's anyway. nothing but. So, yeah, he just continues yeah. to get more and more and more serious. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I like the the uh, intellectual he plays in um, Big Daddy, who's like a yeah. really big into French theory. Is that right? Yeah. All right. No jokes in that one. Yeah. But um, Did you say no jokes. No jokes. Nope. <laughs> Uh, very straight it's just harder i mean this more serious he gets the harder it is for him to make jokes but yeah Yeah. but water boy yeah that's a good step toward that tune in (laughs) bye (laughs) cool and while we do that here's a little mood music for you Scott are newlyweds. Whoopity doo! He loves her, but she loves this guy right here. And he loves somebody else.